Section 3 of Rock Crystal by Adelbert Stifter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Now, the natives of Gescheit rarely leave their village, as has been remarked, hardly even traveling to Millsdorf, from which they are separated by customs as well as by mountain ridges. Besides, it never happens that a man leaves his valley to settle in a neighboring one, though settlements at greater distances do take place. Neither does a woman or a girl like to emigrate from one valley into another, except in the rather rare cases when she follows her love and as wife joins her husband in another valley. So it happened that the dyer's daughter from Millsdorf was ever considered a stranger by all the people of Gescheit, even after she had become the shoemaker's wife, and although they never did her any ill, I even loved her on account of her beautiful ways, yet they always seemed to keep their distance, or, if you will, showed marked consideration for her, and never became intimate or treated her as their equal, as men and women of Gescheit did men and women of their own valley. Thus matters stood and remained, and were not mended by the better dress and the lighter domestic duties of the shoemaker's wife. At the end of the first year she had borne to her husband a son, and several years afterward a daughter. She believed, however, that he did not love his children as she thought he ought to, and as she knew she loved them herself, for his face was mostly serious, and he was chiefly concerned with his work. He rarely fondled or played with the children, and always spoke seriously to them, as one does to adults. With regard to food and clothes and other material things, his care for them was above reproach. At first, the dyer's wife frequently came over to Gescheit, and the young couple, in their turn, visited Millsdorf on occasion of country fairs and other festivities. But when the children came, the circumstances were altered. If mothers love their children and long for them, this is frequently, and to a much higher degree, the case with grandmothers. They occasionally long for their grandchildren with an intensity that borders on morbidness. The dyer's wife very frequently came over to Gescheit now, in order to see the children and to bring them presents. Then she would depart again, after giving them kindly advice. But when her age and health did not any longer permit of these frequent journeys, and the dyer for this reason objected to them, they bethought themselves of another plan. They changed about, and now the children visited their grandmother. Frequently the mother herself took them over in their carriage, at other times they were bundled up warmly and driven over the neck under the care of a servant girl. But when they were a little older, they went to Millsdorf on foot, either in the company of their mother or of some servant. Indeed, when the boy had become strong, clever, and self-reliant, they let him travel the well-known road over the neck by himself. And when the weather was specially beautiful and he begged them, they permitted his little sister to accompany him. This is customary in Gescheit, as the people are hardy pedestrians, and because parents, especially a man like the shoemaker, 
like to see their children able to take care of themselves. Thus it happened that the two children made their way over the pass more frequently than all the other villagers together, and inasmuch as their mother had always been treated as half a stranger in Geshait, the children, by this circumstance, grew up to be strangers' children to the village folks. They hardly were Geshite children, but belonged half to Millsdorf. The boy, Conrad, had already something of the earnest ways of his father, and the girl, Susanna, named so after her mother, or Sana for brevity, had great faith in his knowledge, understanding, and strength, and unquestioningly followed where he led, just as her mother absolutely trusted her husband, whom she credited with all possible insight and ability. On beautiful mornings, one could see the children walk southward through the valley, and traverse the meadows toward the point where the forest of the neck looks down on them. They would enter the forest, gain the height on the road, and before noon come to the open meadows on the side toward Millsdorf. Conrad then showed Sana the pastures that belonged to Grandfather. Then they walked through his fields, in which he explained to her the various kinds of grain. Then they saw the long cloths wave in the wind and blow into antic shapes as they hung to dry on poles under the eaves. Then they heard the noises of the fullery and of the tannery, which the dyer had built by the brook. Then they rounded a corner of the fields, and very soon entered the garden of the dyer's establishment by the back gate, where they were received by grandmother. She always had a presentiment when the children were coming, looked out of the windows, and recognized them from afar, whenever Sana's red kerchief shone brightly in the sun. She led the children through the laundry and the press into the living room and had them sit down, not letting them take off their neckcloths or coats, lest they should catch cold, and then kept them for dinner. After the meal, they were allowed to go into the open and play, and to walk about in the house of their grandparents, or do whatever else they cared to, provided it was not improper or forbidden. The dyer, who always ate with them, questioned them about school, and impressed upon them what they ought to learn. In the afternoon, they were urged by their grandmother to depart even before it was time, so that they should in no case reach home too late. Although the dyer had given his daughter no dowry, and had vowed not to give away anything of his fortune before his death, his wife did not hold herself so strictly bound. She not only frequently made the children presents of pieces of money, sometimes of considerable value, but also invariably tied two bundles for them to carry, in which there were things she believed were necessary, or would give the children pleasure. And even if the same things were to be found in the shoemaker's house, and as good as one might wish, yet grandmother made presents of them in her joy of giving, and the children carried them home as something especially fine. Thus it happened that the children on the day before Christmas unwittingly carried home the presents, well sealed and packed in pasteboard boxes, which were intended for them as their Christmas presents the very same night. Grandmothers pressing the children to go before it was time, so that they should not get home late, had only the effect that they tarried on the way, now here, now there. They liked to sit by the hazel woods on the neck and open nuts with stones. Or if there were no nuts, 
They played with leaves or pegs or the soft brown cones that drop from the branches of fir trees in the beginning of spring. Sometimes Conrad told his little sister stories, or, when arrived at the red memorial post, would lead her a short distance up the side road and tell her that here one could get on the snow mountain, that up there were great rocks and stones, that the chamois gambled and great birds circled about up there. He often led her out beyond the forest when they would look at the dry grass and the small bushes of the heather, but then he returned with her, invariably bringing her home before twilight, which always earned him praise. One winter, on the morning before Christmas, when the first dawn had passed into day, a thin dry veil was spread over the whole sky so that one could see the low and distant sun only as an indistinct red spot. Moreover, the air that day was mild, almost genial, and absolute calm reigned in the entire valley as well as in the heavens, as was indicated by the unchanging and immobile forms of the clouds. So the shoemaker's wife said to her children, As today is pleasant, and it has not rained for a long time, and the roads are hard, and his father gave you permission yesterday, if the weather continued fine, you may go to visit grandmother in Millsdorf, but ask father once more. The children who were still standing there in their little nightgowns ran into the adjoining room where their father was speaking with a customer and asked him again for his permission because it was such a fine day. It was given, and they ran back to their mother. The shoemaker's wife now dressed the children carefully, or rather, she dressed the little girl in snug-fitting warm dresses, for the boy began to dress himself and was finished long before his mother had the little girl straightened out. When they were both ready, she said, Now, Conrad, be nice and careful. As I let your little sister go with you, you must leave betimes and not remain standing anywhere. And when you have eaten at grandmother's, you must return at once and come home, for the days are very short now, and the sun sets very soon. Yes, I know, mother, said Conrad, and take good care of Sana, that she does not fall or get overheated. Yes, mother. Well, then, God bless you. Now go to father and tell him you are leaving. The boy slung a bag of calfskin, artfully sewed by his father, about his shoulders by a strap, and the children went into the adjoining room to say farewell to their father. Soon they issued again and merrily skipped along the village street, after their mother had once more made the sign of the cross over them. Quickly they passed over the square and along the rows of houses, and finally between the railings of the orchards, out into the open. The sun already stood above the wooded heights that were woven through with milky wisps of cloud, and its dim reddish disk proceeded along with them through the leafless branches of the crab-apple trees. There was no snow in the whole valley, but the higher mountains that had been glistening with it for many weeks already were thoroughly covered. The lower ridges, however, remained snowless and silent in the mantle of their pine forests, and the fallow red of their bare branches. The ground was not frozen yet, and would have been entirely dry after the long dry period that had been prevailing, if the cold of the season had not covered it with a film of moisture. 
This did not render the ground slippery, however, but rather firm and resilient, so that the children made good progress. The scanty grass, still standing on the meadows, and especially along the ditches in them, bore the colors of autumn. There was no frost on the ground, and a closer inspection did not reveal any dew either, which signifies rain, according to the country people. Toward the edge of the meadows there was a mountain brook over which led a high, narrow wooden bridge. The children walked over it and looked down. There was hardly any water in the brook, only a thin streak of intensely blue color wound through the dry white pebbles of its stony bed and both the small amount and the color of the water indicated that cold was prevailing in the greater altitudes for this rendered the soil on the mountains dry so that it did not make the water of the brook turbid and hardened the ice so that it could give off but a few clear drops from the bridge the children passed through the valleys and the hills and came closer and closer to the woods finally they reached the edge of the woods and walked on through them when they had climbed up into the higher woodlands of the neck the long furrows of the road were no longer soft as had been the case in the valley but were firm not from dryness but as the children soon perceived because they were frozen over in some places the frost had rendered them so hard that they could bear the weight of their bodies from now on they did not persist any longer in the slippery path beside the road but in the ruts as children will trying whether this or that furrow would carry them when after an hour's time they had arrived at the height of the neck the ground was so hard that their steps resounded on it and the clods were hard like stones arrived at the location of the memorial post sana was the first to notice that it stood no longer there they went up to the spot and saw that the round red painted post which carried the picture was lying in the dry grass which stood there like thin straw and concealed the fallen post from view they could not understand to be sure why it had toppled over whether it had been knocked down or fallen of itself but they did see that the wood was much decayed at the place where it emerged from the ground and that the post might therefore easily have fallen of itself since it was lying there however they were pleased that they could get a closer look at the picture and the inscription than they had ever had before. When they had examined all, the basket with the rolls, the whitish hands of the baker, his closed eyes, his gray coat, and the pine trees surrounding him, and when they had spelt out and read aloud the inscription, they proceeded on their way. After another hour, the dark forest on either side receded, scattered trees some of them isolated oaks others birches and clumps of bushes received them and accompanied them onward and after a short while the children were running down through the meadows of the valley of millsdorf although this valley is not as high by far as the valley of geshait and so much warmer that they could begin harvesting two weeks earlier than in geshait the ground was frozen here too and when the children had come to the tannery and the fulling mill of their grandfather, pretty little cakes of ice were lying on the road where it was frequently spattered by drops from the wheels. That is usually a great pleasure for children. End of section three.